Hey, y'all. Welcome to Night Shift Delirium, a podcast about junior doctors and the world that surrounds them. I'm your host, Victoria, a junior doctor based in England. I know, y'all, it's been a while, and I do apologize, but sometimes life does get in the way. Anyway, today we're talking with Kristen, based in the United States. We're talking about family, relationships, and how to navigate it all while still working as a junior doctor. Welcome to our shift, y'all. Okay, so today we are talking with Kristen. Um, We're going to talk about family today and navigating residency as a professional, um, learning more about why and how she does it all. So um, before we begin, Kristen, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, I'm Kristen. I am a third-year neurodevelopmental disabilities resident um, and a proud mom to Levi. Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. That is so interesting. I think, I don't think I've ever come across anyone in that specialty until I saw that you matched there. What sort of took you and led you down that route? Um, So I used to volunteer at an organization called Extra Special People, um, and they have an adaptive camp, adaptive yoga, a pageant, everything for kids of all abilities. So I was actually pre-vet, and I remember Eli Hill, the coordinator, was talking to me about um, doing their adaptive yoga after I graduated college, and it was the same day I got accepted to veterinary school, and I was more excited about somebody even talking to me about, like, adaptive yoga and, like, seeing me as a volunteer and like realize recognizing me and the potential to still work with those kids that I was like, yeah, I shouldn't go to vet school. If I was more excited about just teaching yoga versus getting accepted to the one vet school I thought I wanted to go to. Um, so it kind of went on from there. Wow. That's really interesting. So you didn't have an interest like necessarily in medicine at all. It was always vet and then things changed the day you got into vet school. Is that right? Yes, I wanted to be a veterinarian since I was four years old. And there are other times that I thought maybe like would consider med school for like a second, but vet school was kind of guaranteed. Um, but that was like, okay, I shouldn't get into student loan debt about something that's not making me excited anymore, even if it was easy. Oh my gosh, that's so interesting because I feel like it's so often the other way around, you know, where people have wanted to be doctors for a hundred years and then they did something else because it seemed to like maybe work out. Oh, yeah. that's fascinating. I didn't tell my um, parents I was accepted to vet school until after I got into medical school because I felt like they would force me to go. Um, oh my gosh. And I didn't have that, that doubt around me until I got into med school. So yeah. Oh my <laughs> goodness. So did you switch? Yeah. So did you go? So then did you take out time in between sort of like undergrad and all of that or? Did you just then, like, how did it work out for you then? So I was always interested in international travel and wanted to live out of the country. So I was trying to find international volunteer experience for like human medicine and then found um, the international school that we went to. But when I applied to the school thinking they would look at my application, like she applied to the wrong type of medical school, but got accepted. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, we did go to the same medical school. Georges via Cyprus, via Chicago, et cetera, et cetera, (laughs) Um, which, you know, has been an interesting experience. I've had quite a few people actually from Georges on the pod already. Um, Okay, so 
I wanted to ask you really about like family and navigating like life outside of medicine um, while in residency, because it just seems impossible. And then, you know, you see people doing it and you're like, what's their secret? How does it work out? Yeah. So I knew that I was going to have a kid during medical school. Um, Me and my ex-husband planned on having kids. We got married like 19, 20 in college. Um, So having a kid in medical school was always the plan. The ex-husband part was not. Um, And I think when I look back at things that Levi and I have done, I would not have thought it was possible. But it got to a point as between second and third year medical school, Levi was a few months old. I took a year off while I was pregnant with him and saved money. We moved to Chicago and basically ex-husband never came and became ex-husband. And I think really there was no game plan at that point. It was completely unexpected, Um, but we took one day at a time. So I would babysit overnight for date nights where I could bring Levi with me to pay for my babysitter the next day. And that was the cycle. And every day I'd wake up like, I do not know how we're going to make this work. I don't know if I'm going to finish medical school. I called my best friend, like everything is ruined. Like I didn't think it would be possible, but it was like, I'm just going to keep trying. So got a babysitting gig, babysat, pay my nanny in this circle, knowing it was going to run out at one run out at some point. I was like, this is not going to keep working. I'm not going to find a gig every night. I'm not going to be able to cover every single day, but I'm just going to keep going until it comes to that day that I can't cover. And luckily that day didn't come. <laughs> um, it was very tiring. I, I felt like maybe I shouldn't tire myself out. Maybe I should just stop now because what's the chances this is going to make it through the next two years of medical school. And then there's residency applications and so many other things. But now looking back, I'm glad that I didn't give into that, that thought of doubt because I matched into like my dream program and things are still hard as a single parent in residency, but it's a lot easier when you have a salary and it's a lot easier when you're doing exactly what you love and knowing that like you make it to the next day, you're going to be the kind of doctor you want to be. And like the goal is like, you can see it now um, versus medical school. Like you don't really see it. You're just like, I'm going to keep doing this. I probably won't match. I failed step one. I'm very open about that. Like, why am I doing this? But now it's like, I know exactly why I'm doing it. So, yeah. Oh my gosh. I love that so much, you know, because Like, I knew that you had a child when we were in med school, and it's just like, that was just wild to me because everyone also like knew that you were really smart. So like, it was your, I don't know how much of that reputation you know about, but it was very much so like, Kristen is on point. She has it together. She's so clever. Like she gets it, you know? So for me, someone like me who, you know, struggled for various reasons in medical school, I was like, gosh, I really admire the fact that one, she's so clever, but two, she has the responsibility of like, you know, providing for a child and like somehow she's able to do it. So it's like, you see people like that sort of peripherally or maybe directly in front of you along your journey. And you're kind of like, you know what, whatever it is that I'm doing, that's hard or whatever, other people are doing it as well. So it's, it's good to know, you know, but I had no idea, even with what little I knew that you were sort of doing that every day and just still persevering and still really showing up, you know, at, um, at, for school, you know, like really showing up, being an active learner and doing all of the things that you need to do to like succeed in rotation. So that's awesome. It's, it's so interesting hearing like other people's perception 
of us because like I don't see myself as somebody who's very smart or clever and I feel like I'm always coming in late I'm always like barely keeping it together like that's how it feels on the inside um like there's always like that imposter syndrome and doubt like my grades weren't the strongest things like that so it's interesting to like hear what other people think I appreciate that (laughs) yeah totally and I think that like you know I think people in medicine in general, but, you know, especially women, especially Black women, we can sometimes doubt ourselves and other people don't see it at all. Meanwhile, we're like, what's wrong with you? Why don't you get it together? You know, like that internal monologue is so difficult to overcome. And I genuinely don't know anyone who's successfully overcome it despite their success externally, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, And so I think you know, that's just such a, a perfect example of that. Yeah. I feel like Levi or being a mom has brought a lot of confidence to me. And that was kind of my thing during medical school was like, I do not feel like I'm doing strong clinically, but when I come home, I am going to be that mom. And I would overdo it. Like I would hand make his baby food from scratch and like cloth diapered him and wouldn't allow him to like watch TV or any kind of technology before the age of two. And it seems like excessive, but I think I needed that because it was like a, like, if I know I could do those things, right. Even if I'm not doing a great job at school, like I, nobody can say I'm not a good mom. So like, that was my source of confidence. Like Levi having Levi made me feel more confident in myself. And then over time I was able to like take little bits of that confidence and use it medically and be like, you know, you're, you might not know every clinical answer, but you know how to show up for your patients. Um, so Levi, I think helped me become a better doctor than if I was just going through clinical education. I love that. What a nice, you know, legacy for him, really. I mean, he's not at an age at where he could, you know, is probably thinking about his legacy, obviously. I mean, I don't think many of us are, but (laughs) that is so phenomenal. You know, one day he'll listen to this and say, yeah, you know, I did that. (laughs) He got me through it. (laughs) That is amazing. So what has your journey been in residency, um, you know, with a child, a very young boy. Yeah. My residency program is very family friendly. Um, so that's helped being in a pediatric field. You have a bunch of people who are willing to like babysit and help. Um, but it gets hard with 28 hour shifts. I'm away from my family still. Um, yeah, I don't even know how to explain it. I think intern year was really hard because we found a babysitter who suddenly stopped showing up and, You don't know like if your team is getting frustrated when you're coming in late or frustrated if you have to miss a day. Um, Then Levi has some medical things. And for a while, I would put off Levi's doctor's visits till I had a day off, which is very rare. So typically his doctor visits are after I work a 28-hour shift and I'm showing up exhausted. Um, But I think during second and third year, I got a little bit more of like, I am here advocating for my patients. I need to advocate for my son and being like, I need to take this day off. My son needs to go to a doctor. But it took a really long time to get there because there is a certain work ethic and not necessarily always healthy culture in medicine that you don't take days off when you're sick or, you know, things like that. Um, Some of those thoughts were more internal because when I started to request those times off, everybody was like, absolutely. And go eat lunch with him afterwards. And I was like, oh, wait, what? You're not rushing me back? But yeah, here he comes. Sorry. Oh, no, that's fine. We're talking about you. Hey! Hi! (laughs) Her name's Victoria. Victoria? Yeah. Victorious. 
victorious. She victorious. <laughs> what do you think about mommy and mommy's work? Her name should be victorious. Your name should be victorious. You know, actually, it's interesting because my friend Jessica, who I interviewed in season one about family, she had a baby, I guess, second year of her psych residency. And she just really talked about how she just would like if she had a lecture, she couldn't have she didn't have childcare, And so she like brought her daughter with her and people just had to adjust. And her thing was like not asking permission. And I think it's uh, it, it's such an interesting um approach I think of myself as a relatively bold person but I don't to be honest I don't think I'd be that bold and I think you really touched on something that I think we all struggle with like showing up for yourself because our job is to essentially support other people in their journey in life and improve their quality of life to the best of our ability mm-hmm. so that they can show up for everyone else and go to all of the holiday functions and go to the spas and all of that. And we do all of that. And it's a true sacrifice because we're not able to show up for ourselves so often. And yeah, it's just, I I just think it's something that I don't know that anyone ever quite figures it out because you do kind of feel like, will there be a limitation to people's empathy and understanding? What if I have a big emergency or like, and other people don't necessarily have to think about those things, you know? So yeah, it's it's hard. It's definitely hard. Yeah, I think like I do a lot of advocacy work and I started thinking when I kind of went through a health, health scare of my own personally during second year, I was like, I take so much time to like advocate for safe spaces for other people. And I do not provide or advocate for a safe space for myself. And then realizing that that impacts Levi too. I think that's the thing. If I didn't have Levi, I don't know if I would have gotten there, but like me getting admitted mm-hmm. to a hospital and like needing medical treatment and all those type of things. And it's like, if I would have went to the doctor sooner, would this have been as severe? And then now I'm in the hospital several days and not being able to see Levi. Like he got me there, but it's still the same lesson. Like how can I work so hard for safe spaces for other people and not provide one for myself? Yeah, that is, yeah. I mean, and someone is relying on you, you know? So it's a completely different space than like someone like me who's kind of like, yeah, if I don't show up for myself and I'm burnt out or whatever. I mean, it, it, that, that's not a good thing, but I don't have anyone, you know, expecting anything from me, I don't think. So um, it's, it's just like, it's a completely a, different space. It's not a good thing for me that I, I, need, I needed a whole child to get myself there. Cause I think it's something we all need to get there before we have a kid, but it's just yeah. how medical training kind of makes us or any kind of overambitious personality kind of just becomes a characteristic trait that we get that's not necessarily good. And then our culture kind of supports that characteristic trait. The person showing up sick from work is such a team player, but it's like, that's not really good. (laughs) Exactly. Oh my goodness. Like last year in June or July, I had just, you know, that like cold that everyone is getting eventually that's not COVID, but feels like COVID and it's definitely not, but you're also really unwell And I ended up having to take off a few days. Um, And then I went back and it was like nights and I was working in the emergency room and um, they ended up having to put like a nebulizer on me at work and all of this stuff. And I will say that the UK is much better, I think, than the States in relation to that. Everyone was kind of like, 
why are you here? And I'm like, I already took off days. I felt so bad. Yeah. But I was actually sick. And I think the UK, they would have been understanding if I was like, I just, I can't do it. I've got this terrible cough. Every single patient is mentioning it. I would want a doctor cough, you know, like, but I think my American side and also like black woman American side was like, you need to go because what if it comes back? What if someone says that you're like abusing the system or whatever? And that's when all of those external pressures that we have all internalized drown out any sense of rationality. Yeah, I agree. I was working when I didn't have COVID, taking DayQuil like around the clock. And with taking DayQuil, I looked still sick. I just was able to function. But I would have that same thought. Like if I was a parent, I saw the doctor looking as sick as I did. I would not want them near my kid. Yeah, exactly. But somehow, I don't know. It's just, it's very tricky. It really is. I don't think that there's any perfect answer. I do think that we should try and like prioritize ourselves, but it really is so much easier said than done. Yeah. So did you have anyone in your family who was medical before you decided to go down this path? Not directly. My aunt's a nurse um, and her husband is a urologist, but not like there wasn't like a mentorship or anything. That sort of just It was that one conversation. Yeah. <laughs> that is amazing. Um, and I mean, we've kind of already spoken about it, but having, you know, your son, how do you think that's affected your clinical practice? Like but your the way that you work with um, patients and families? I think I see it a lot. Like we work with kids who were really, really, really sick. And that got really big, scary, lifelong diagnosis. And at the same time, a couple of rooms over, we're rounding on a patient who just has, just has, in quotes, um, RSV, bronchiolitis. We'll go home in a few days, as long as they're eating and drinking well, no big deal to us. And I think that it allows some people unintentionally to be less empathetic towards that family because we just left a room where the kid may not be alive very much longer or is going to have a severe long-term outcome. And I've had a lot of conversations with colleagues, like when it's your child, it is scary. It doesn't matter that their kid is going to be fine in a couple of days. We know that, and we can tell them that, but it's, everything is scary when it's your kid. And so like with Levi, when he gets a little cold, I'm worried. And I know he's going to be fine. And I've seen a lot of scary things. I know exactly what to do, but it allows me to very easily put myself in parents' places. Working 28-hour shifts is exhausting, but the lab that keep wakes us up, that lab result is keeping parents up. And at the 28-hour shift, we clock out, we go home, we can sleep, we're done. But the parent doesn't get to clock out of their call shift. They are on call 24-7 and worried, and they know a lot less than we do sometimes. So I think I can easily put myself in their place and understand if they want a 3 a.m. update, like, really? Does it have to be at 3 a.m.? But at the same time, I get to go home and go to sleep. They're going to be up at 3 a.m. They're going to stay awake. So it's it's very easy to put myself aside the hours that I'm at work to support families because I can imagine how I would feel if I was there with my kid. And I can look past being exhausted or knowing this lab result won't change anything at the middle of the night because it's normal, but just needing to hear it from a doctor, just be okay with like, I'm not going to sleep while I'm here. Oh, that's so good. I mean, I don't work with, 
kids that much except for when I'm in the emergency room. But I definitely can understand that from even like just relatives who, you know, especially during COVID and everything, they've not been able to come in and they want these updates. And sometimes they're really grumpy about it and not exactly kind. Sometimes they are, but I do try and sit and like remind myself that actually they have no idea what's going on. I'm Mm -hmm. sure they've heard horror stories. And also it's just scary, like having someone be unwell. Um, But it is really easy to forget that after a really long day or a long shift or a complicated, you know, whatever, even if you have your own things going on at home, it is very difficult to always keep empathy there. But um, yeah, I mean, I think it's also a bit different when I'm just thinking about, oh, like, what if it was my mom or something like that versus like, I have a child that I see every single day and this could be me, you know, it's just, it's a little bit different. It's the end of the academic year, which is filled with graduations and superlatives. So what were some of your favorite specialist residents voted as way back in the day? Well, Here's Delirium's take on a few. The athlete most likely to go pro. Okay, maybe not pro, but playing college sport. Okay, maybe not playing college sports, but at least playing in the community and maybe being the captain of the neighborhood team. Orthopedics. Most likely to go on a reality show showcasing the life that they're working very hard for, full of designer clothing, designer cars, designer items, only to leave the show very early on because, after all, they are incredibly busy. And it has nothing to do with the other personalities. General surgery. Most likely to get multiple PhDs and write several subsequent books because there's no such thing as asking Too many questions, even if no one is listening for the answer. Internal medicine. Most likely to spend their evenings working with community organizers, running grassroots campaigns, and joining the city council. All the while maintaining their full-time, rather late start to the day and often home before rush hour job. Psychiatry. Most likely to run for president and after a wildly successful campaign, encounter the ever-changing but ever-present glass ceiling, obstetrics and gynecology. And on the flip side, do you think that sort of working in your field, specifically in your field, has influenced how you're raising Levi? does I used to be really into like evidence-based parenting and I don't know why I like will look up peer-reviewed research articles on any decision that I make for Levi and I'm engaged now and it like drives my fiance crazy because he like he won't like strongly disagree but he'll like to like challenge things that I'm doing and I'm like I read this research paper and this one and this one and I look for bias and I like pick through these things and this is why I'm doing it this way (laughs) so I think it definitely impacts me a lot I don't know. I like it though. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's dope. Like to have the understanding and know where to look for. Because to be honest, 
people do that in their own way. Like as a non-medical people, I'm not saying Facebook, WhatsApp, Twitter, YouTube, TikTok, et cetera, et cetera, are this same exact thing as a peer-reviewed source. But I, I mean, like there's a reason why those like sites and things are so popular. Everyone is anxious. Everyone wants advice from someone. So it might as well be like peer-reviewed research. (laughs) (laughs) It's fun. It's my favorite reading material. (laughs) That is very medic of you. That is very doctory. (laughs) I should have saved them in a binder. People like ask for parents, well, let me look at this article. (laughs) (laughs) Like I legit think people would happily like, reach out to you for like, okay, so now that you said that, should I give applesauce or? (laughs) Um, Okay. So what do you think he thinks about sort of you working and being a doctor? Does he have an understanding of like what it means to be a doctor and what your job is day to day? Levi? Yeah. Yeah, he does. He's very proud of it. He likes to tell people that like mommy's helping babies and, um, He wants to be a doctor. He says now it could a doctor, a dermatologist, or a frog to be specific. (laughs) Um, But now he's kind of switching from dermatology to whatever mommy does because he wants to be at work with me. And I was like, no, you got to go down your own path. Um, But he's very proud of it. During COVID, I did a little like Zoom call with his class about washing their hands. And he was just like, that's my mommy. She's a doctor. And he likes to (laughs) randomly tell people. Um, so he's very proud of it. And I think it's both of our accomplishments. So he should be proud of it because honestly, he was right there accepting me reading first aid as his bedtime story in a baby voice. Like he earned the degree (laughs) too. So, but he's, he's, he knows what I do and he's excited about it. Oh, that's awesome. And you mentioned you're engaged. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, how has that been? Like, I mean, you're navigating a million really complicated things, like life things all at once. How's that been? It's good and hard. Um, I think for me, it's easier. Like I have this amazing person who's so supportive of me and he knows that I'm very passionate about work and he knows I'm very passionate about being Levi's mom and he knows I love him. But I, when I say passionate, like if I am reading something on disability advocacy and new laws, like I could be caught up in that for hours. And I do that stuff after Levi goes to bed. Um, and so he just has to kind of sit there and watch me just like, just rambling passionately or looking something up or writing a letter to a senator or just going down these rabbit holes. And he'll see me using that same passion with Levi. If Levi is struggling with something, like I'm going to make a solution. So Levi gets frustrated about bedtime. So I made a little clock to help him navigate like when we're approaching bedtime. So he sees me do those things in those two areas of life, or I'm writing like a textbook chapter on advocacy. So he sees how I act in passion. And I do have that same passion and love for him, but it's different because like, what is he? He doesn't really need anything because he's Mm. like this grown man who has it all together. And so I think it's hard for him because he knows what I do out of love for my work and for my son. And I don't have the same ways to show it to him because he has it all together already. Um, Mm. I try to recognize that and kind of think like, what can I do? Because I know it's hard for him. And we started dating right before residency. And, you know, now he's coming to Indiana every weekend instead of hanging out in fun Atlanta and things like that. And he's had to make so many sacrifices for me. Um, 
he travels for work and is in Chicago. And if I get jeopardized into a shift, he'll drive two and a half hours to help with Levi or rearrange his schedule to be here overnight with Levi or come here when Levi's sick and does so much. And there's just, I don't have this, I don't have anything to sacrifice. Like I'm already so spread thin between work and being Levi's mom. Like I don't have, I can't do anything like that. I don't have anything to do like that. So it's great for me and I can definitely see how it could be really hard for him because he has so much more to give and so much space to sacrifice and he does constantly. Oh, I mean, that is amazing one to like find such a supportive partner. I think you've got two things that require 100% of you, like work requires 100% of you, raising your son requires 100% of you. And so it's difficult to see how you're going to split a pie that's literally already consumed times two. Um, But that's amazing to find a partner that is comfortable with not even just one of those things, but both of those things and supporting you, you know, like I find dating and all of that to be quite um, complicated, you know, just as a doctor, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, like I go out on dates with people and then I just find people are really needy or like if someone has like a little bit of a a cough or something, yes, they feel unwell, but they don't need to be in hospital. And for me, man syndrome is like, it gives me the automatic ick. So (laughs) I find it to be really hard to manage all of those things. Um, but I mean, I I guess it's just part of life. It's something that you have to try and find a way to do, but I mean, obviously he sees your love and things because you started dating before residency and you're engaged now. So it seems like it's working out. (laughs) I think with him, he used to be an investment banker. And so he worked in a field where he had no work-life balance and he understands like the work that you have to put in, in the beginning. And that'll be my dating tip. If you're going into medicine, Try to find somebody who understands the work that it takes with these type of careers. It doesn't necessarily have to be medicine, but somebody who knows like, okay, it's going to be crazy in the beginning, but it's going to work out in the end. Yeah. It's beneficial. Totally. But never had to like explain my schedule to him or anything like that. Like he just kind of got it. Like he gets, he just gets it. So. Oh, that's good. I love that. I mean, it's, it's good that he was working in investment banking because he understands like the mania of like, you know, high, you know, demanding jobs. And I do think that that makes a massive difference. Okay. So I won't keep you too much longer, um, but I do have a few more questions. Mm -hmm. So if Levi does follow through with deciding to be a doctor later on in life, what advice will you give to him? If Levi decides to truly pursue medicine, it would have to bring him the amount of joy that it brings me. I feel like people can go into medicine for the title or the money or so many other things. But when I go to work, I, especially when I'm on the rotation of like developmental peds or in my, um, my developmental peds clinic, I love being there. Like time goes by so fast. I could work late. I could be in the room with a family for an hour and a half. And it doesn't bother me. I'm just, I'm just so glad that they had an hour and a half worth of things to talk about with me and questions that I can answer. And it just is so fulfilling. And I'm excited to go there every day. And I feel so happy when I leave. And it would not be worth it if it brought me any less happiness than that. And so I don't want him to go into it because he sees me going into it. I don't want him to go into it because he sees my happiness in it if he doesn't have that same happiness. So my advice to him would be like, make sure it truly brings you 
joy because it is long. The hours are horrible. You sacrifice a lot. It, it has to be worth it. And money and all that type of stuff is not worth it. The title is not worth it. It has to bring him joy. And I think if I ever see him not as happy in medicine, I'd be like, listen, I don't care if you could drop out right now. It's not worth it. First year residency, six-figure student loan debt, whatever. You're not happy. Yeah. You need to stop. Oh, that's great. I do think so. Like for me, my dad's a doctor. He never like forced me to be a doctor. And because my journey was very long, definitely was open to me changing paths. Um, but you do find often people who are in medicine because their parents are doctors or they are after the title and after the med- um, after the money. And along the way, they kind of lose that interest because it's not sustainable, is it? So like the money isn't, I mean, people might think that, I hope it doesn't sound like I'm, I don't appreciate like the salary that comes at the end, but I don't think that the money is really all that much considering all that you go through to get there and the sacrifice that you literally make every single day. Like we've spoken about not prioritizing yourself and your health and your family and your relationships. And like, all of that is really priceless. I mean, it's so corny to say it, but it is true, you know, and like, it's not worth it if the passion and the desire to like work in whatever field you're working in isn't there. There's so many other ways to like make money that will require a lot less sacrifice. And I think to be a great doctor, you have to really love it to really show up for families in that kind of way. So it's beneficial for both if you don't do it, if you don't have that love. Yeah, totally. So what do you hope Levi and your fiance remember most about this period in your life and in your training? I hope that Levi remembers all the ways I tried to make every day special, even when I was tired. Um, Yeah. It's important to me that he knows that because I will lose sleep to try to make something special for him, even if he wouldn't have noticed if he didn't have it. So I just hope that he knows that even when I was working in 28 hour shifts, I would plan a pizza party for him with the babysitter and something special when I came home. Um, and my fiance, I want him to know that I see every single thing that he does for us. Why am I tearing up? Oh my gosh. <laughs> and all the sacrifices that he makes in that. I hope that he knows that I see that and that in our lifelong marriage afterwards, that I can show him the same amount of appreciation and sacrifice that he's shown for us. And yeah. <laughs> Why am I tearing up? Oh my up? goodness. Oh my Why am I getting emotional? It's so <laughs> sweet. It's so sweet to see and hear these things. Like it's good. As mm-hmm. always, it's inspiring. Um, and what do you hope to remember? the most from this period when you listen to this in like 20 years or whatever? Um, let's see. What do I hope to remember? There's a lot. I hope to remember a lot of the special moments that Levi and I have had. I hope to remember all the times that Levi said really sweet things to me, like you're a good doctor, mommy, or little things. Like he, he gives me a lot of words of affirmation. I hope to remember that. Um, yeah, I don't know. I hope to remember a lot of things. That's a hard question. I think definitely like the, I hope to remember a lot of little family moments that I've had, special moments I got to share with families that I will kind of take on with me as I practice with more families, different things that they told me that has helped them. I hope I remember those so I can use it to help other families. Um, I hope I remember the times that I really didn't think that 
I would make it through so that if I ever had that feeling again, I could be like, no, that's not true. You did it before here and you did it before at this time. So, yes. Good. Um, and then I have two other, two last like advice questions. What advice do you give to yourself in like 20 years? Like when you're nearing the end of your career and maybe aren't as, you know, you're, you just have a different outlook. What advice do you have for yourself? Like what would I tell myself in the future? Yeah. I don't know what I'll tell myself in the future. <laughs> She's going to know more than I know. But is there something that maybe you might think like, for example, for me, my advice to myself in the future is the struggle <laughs> that you're going through got got you to where you are right now. and always remember like your why like that for me is really important and I, I I don't ever want to forget that but knowing myself and knowing that I do tend to get jaded after a couple of years in a few different places I just want to tell myself to keep going for for my why I guess mine would be I don't know how do I phrase this Don't let other people's feelings or perceptions influence how you feel or perceive situations. So I tend to be overly optimistic and a lot of things bring me joy. And I want to keep that in my old age. Even if I have people saying, but all these bad things happen. Like, why are you still so joyful? I want to remind myself to keep that joy regardless of other people's feelings about it. That's awesome. And I have a feeling that that's exactly what's going to happen because already you've had so many different obstacles and you're still joyful and it's evident. So, I mean, that is not an easy task at all. Um, Okay. And then my very, very last question is for anyone who maybe is thinking about having a family or dating or having a child, do you have any advice for them? I say do it. There's no perfect time. Having a kid can bring a lot of different obstacles, but the obstacles are very, very, very small compared to the amount of joy having a child or starting your family will bring you. And that when you decide to start a family or do anything, you're going to have people who are like, how are you going to do that? Or cast doubt on you, but just remind yourself that that is a reflection of how they see their own abilities and has no reflection on how capable you are. Oh, I love that. Okay, well, that's it. I don't have any more questions, but thank you so much for um, joining me in conversation today on Night Shift Delirium. Where can people find you on social media? Um, so my Instagram is pagingdoctor.love. So pagingdoctorlove. I'll be married in 42 days. <laughs> Congratulations. And we will all be watching from Instagram. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I hope you all enjoyed this week's episode. Be sure to follow Kristen at Paging Dr. Love on Instagram for more updates. Since we recorded, she has gotten married and she's gone on her honeymoon, all of which she shares on her page. She also shares her advocacy work. If you're interested and you want to have a look, make sure you head to her page on Instagram. We will be sure to tag her in our show notes and to tag her on Instagram. We do still have some limited merchandise available at amisascloset.com 
A-M-I-S-S-A-S-C-L-O-S-E-T dot com. And if you're still interested in donating to Bisola's GoFundMe, the medical student coming from Ukraine that we featured in our last episode, please be sure to also go to her GoFundMe. It's in our link tree. So that's linktree.com slash nightshiftdelirium. If you're enjoying, make sure you like, subscribe, share, and do all of the things that the internet tells us to do for the podcast. And we will see you on our next shift. You can sit and listen, but you have to listen quietly or you can go to your room. What choice do you want? It might be easier to walk if you open your eyes. It won't be.